This is episode number 406 with Daniel Flynn of The Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Godin, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is a second time on the Founder Podcast, Daniel Flynn. Now he's the co-founder of Thank You, which is a social enterprise formed around better serving people living in extreme poverty by redistributing wealth from consumer spending. He's got an incredible story. This is an amazing conversation and you're going to really hear how Daniel has built this incredible social enterprise, this business that does so much for the world. If you're interested in just an incredible story of ups and downs uh, and how he's changing the world one product at a time, please welcome to the podcast, Daniel Flynn. For those that are not familiar with you and your journey, uh, the first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? Okay, how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Such a good question. Why did, I mean, it didn't start as a job, which is interesting. I think for most people starting anything, it wasn't paid. It was volunteer. We just went all in on our idea. Um, and for me, the idea really came from a pretty deep place. So I talk, I talk about a moment um, that I would say is the genesis moment of this. I was sitting in front of my computer uh, watching stories of kids that didn't have access to clean water. And I knew about poverty, but for me on this particular day, I just had the thought, oh, if that was my story, my sisters, Jess and Mel, they would have died from the water I was collecting them because that's their story. And even though it wasn't mine, I, I was, it was uncomfortable. And I saw another number that day that said globally we spent uh, $50 billion on bottled water. Today it's $140 billion. But I remember just seeing that kind of those two extremes and thinking like, wow. That is so wrong. And imagine if, imagine if there was, I don't know, like a bridge between the two extremes. And so now at Thank You, we would say, that's Thank You's job. We're a bridge between our world's two extremes, extreme poverty, 736 million people living in it, and extreme consumerism, which is 63 trillion we spend each year as consumers. So that's how how much we're collectively spending. Mm. And we're like, imagine if there was a product company that bridged that. And the product existed all four. And yeah, at the beginning, we thought we'll start with bottled water because it's a stupid product and it shouldn't exist. But let's start there. And maybe one day, thank you, could be more. And yeah, with our co-founders, we Googled our way, stumbled our way into what is now, you know, it's a pretty big job. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been incredible to watch your journey. We actually even had a mutual friend that I've, because I've interviewed you before and I remember you used to work at... It was like Vodafone, right, yeah. while yeah. you were getting it up and going. So can you take us like how you bring a company like what you've built to life? Yeah, look, I think like many stories, we, we did begin with this idea and it was simple in our head. So product, all for the mission. Uh, and then we spent the next few years basically trying to bring that simple idea to life and it was really hard. Everyone we met, 
um, even in, in the bottled water industry, just said that you know you're up against the biggest brands in the country and the world. What are you guys going to do different? And you know, what sort of backing do you have? And we didn't have it. Um, we set up a business owned 100% by a charitable trust. That allowed us to make this really cool claim. This is all for the mission. But also, man, we didn't have investors. We didn't have shareholders. We didn't have some of the things you would usually have. And so, uh, you know, I look back in those early days. I was like, wow, we were super naive in business. And that was our, I suppose, the part of the story we were embarrassed by. Equally, it's the part that led us to the success because we would get into rooms and ask things you can't ask for. Um, you know, I remember about five meetings into meeting different bottling manufacturers in Australia. We just said, like, this is going to change the world. And we had all this passion. And the, the director, he said he agreed. He's like, bottled water is silly. This idea could change things. Funding water projects. And he said, I'm in. And everyone else wasn't in, but he was in. And I still remember we were like, thank you so much. What does in mean? <laughs> like, what, what do you mean you're in? He's like, well, hey, how about this? I'll make the product for you. You go out and sell it, and then you pay me the cost of goods when you can, like when you get paid. And at the time, we were just sort of nodded along. Later, we learned how cash flow positive from day one is very rare in business. But I think that moment sums up. We were willing to go into rooms, share our idea, get a heap of no's, find someone who is like, I see what you see. Let's go. And so we've repeated that again and again. And we tell the stories of the yeses, but... There's a hundred to one no's. I still remember the, the pitch to actually the biggest distributor of beverages in our co- uh, country. And going into this meeting, we knew how big they were. They work for Red Bull, Lipton Ice Tea, right? So big companies. And we also knew, according to some people, even the factory guy who loved us, he's like, I don't think you'll get it. And that's a common thread in our story. And I think our approach is just, we wonder, what if? Like, what if it worked, right? And so that now we've kind of, you know, coined that term, like, but what if it works? At the time, we just wondered. And I never forget the NBC pitch because we're, we're in the room, all passion, all heart. We had our ducks in a row. We knew our pricing. So when he asked questions, we had answers. And on the spot, he orders 50,000 units. Um, and, and I never forget, he said, Daniel, how quick do you think I could get the product? And I said, give us three weeks. And he was like, wow, that's amazing. Like, you guys are fast. And that was a pretty awkward moment because the factory is like, we can't do that. Why would you commit that? We're like, well, you told us we wouldn't even get the deal. And we didn't know how long to say. And we tried to sound professional. And these were our early days. And so if you're hearing this story, we kind of fumbled our way in. And over time, we learned a bit more about how business works. You effectively started in retail, right? Yeah. And how long did it take to kind of be able to get the the water, like the bottled water and your first products into retail from even coming up with this idea? And then, yeah, how, how did you fund it to begin with? Yes. And how much did that first order cost? Yeah, well, I mean, it was interesting because we, we uh, had a factory who was willing to spot a lot of those costs up front. Yes. But there was still a gap. And I, I remember the gap was $20,000 in real costs, like registered the company. Yep. So like we had the dream, but we hadn't registered the company yet. Like we didn't have the money, right? And so I remember adding that money up. I was like, gosh, we're so close, but we need 20 grand. Between myself, our co-founders, Justine and Jared, like we didn't have the money at all. I sat down with a business guy and I'd caught up with him before, told him the vision. He kind of was like, it's interesting. This time was different. Like we got a factory, we got this order. We need $20,000, you know, and we've got about two weeks if we don't get it. The next day he ends up writing a check for 20 grand and it wasn't a loan, it was a gift. He's like, go for it. Like, I can't believe you're doing this without the investors and all that, you guys are kind of crazy, but you've made it this far, good luck. And that gift was very, very helpful because that closed the gap. And then I thought from there, this is it, it's done. We've landed this huge order, We've got the money. And so this is where the story goes up, but it doesn't. It literally goes up and then comes crashing down. Um, And there is this three-year dark valley of the idea not working, starting with a product recall because there's a labeling issue on the product. So that was shocking to us. And it was like this false start. 
And then we face the same problem with every retailer in this country. They said we, you know, they'd often compliment us, you know, love your passion, um, love your idea. You know, it's always felt a bit condescending, you know, but I said you are up against big brands. And the big, the big feedback was you don't have the marketing investment. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have the shelf space. Once at a supermarket, I was like, you guys have so much shelf space. And he's like, you have no idea how this industry works. And it is. Every centimeter is hard fought for. And it's huge investment. Some brands, I know of one literally this week, uh, in one of the categories we're in, they've invested $8 million in their launch. That's common ground for, for the sort of the tier one companies. Uh, and, and we didn't have that. So every retailer we presented to really pushed back was, you can't prove it's going to sell. Now, while they're saying that, we're trying to get cafes and outlets on board, and we did. Mm-hmm. So we had hundreds of cafes joining us. Um, but, you know, in our little bumpy ride, we had issues, supply chain issues. One factory didn't supply product for a couple of weeks. And I, I remember a year in, we lost 300, about 350 stockers. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so one year in, after the product recall, we're like, this is too hard. And we stuck at it because I, I genuinely thought two of the retailers we'd presented to, like, they're going to say yes. Like, it was really positive. And they asked heaps of questions and heaps. And they both said no. Then they both came out with their own product that went to funding water projects. Oh. So I was like, oh, you asked a lot of questions. Like, that's cool. Like, that's like what we presented. And that was a moment that was the most crushing uh, you know, up until about a year and a half on, and, and this is now three years into our story, uh, one of the biggest supermarkets in our country says, congratulations, you're in national range every store. And that moment was the best because we have for three years got knocked back and finally like someone believes in the vision, says yes, we get product ready and I put a call through to check date and delivery and we hadn't got the purchase order yet. And on that phone call, a new person picked up the phone and he's like, so what's thank you? I'm like, I'll call you back. I called the old guy and he'd move categories. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, oh, don't worry. I've told the new guy all about it. Um, just call him back. So I called him back and I was like, it's Daniel from Thank You Water. He's like, what is it? I'm like, wow, we've been talking to you for three years and we're in. We've got national ranging. We're producing product. We just don't know like exactly how much and when do you want to deliver it. And he said, I'll stop you there. I've got the big, big brands and I have my own brand and I don't need your water. And I remember... Yeah, we protested it. It went nowhere. And that day was like another just crushing moment of this is so hard. We want to help end extreme poverty, get water to people. We cannot break into retail. And so to your question, like, when did it land? About three and a half years in, when after we got no, no, no from so many, we kind of flipped things on its head. And, uh, well, yeah, that changed everything. What was that? So we... uh, We'd just come back from a trip to Cambodia and I actually went on the trip. Justine was there. We had just got married. Um, so we were dating, background, dating, got married, running thank you, wild. And, um, and we, we go honeymoon and then we went to Cambodia afterwards. I remember flying over thinking like, we have failed. We're three years in. We'd helped some communities, but it just didn't, it felt like failure. I'm kind of into numbers and we hadn't hit them. We meet this family and this one mum, she tours like her community. She talks through a translator, explains what water, dirty water did for their family. Like, and it, it was so shocking. I mean, we knew it, but to hear it firsthand. And she talked about having clean water and she said, thank you. And I remember that trip thinking, gosh, if, we, if, if everything we went through for three years was for that, in this moment, it feels enough. And that flight home, it was like, the best way I could describe the feeling is like, we want to go back to Australia and we want to scale this idea up, but I would almost phrase it in that moment, burn the house down. Like, we, like yeah, everyone said no, and everyone says we don't have the money. No, like we are going, and we come back and we launch a video on YouTube and Facebook, and we said, hey, everybody, two weeks from today, we're presenting Thank You Water to 7-Eleven Australia. Now, we gave no history of all the journeys, but we said, for three years, we can't get into retail. And two weeks from today, we're presenting to them and we need you to come with us. Upload a video or a post onto their Facebook wall. And it was wild. It was. Like people did. They sung, danced, rapped, uploaded videos. Um, 
you know, we got a bit of critique. I think one marketing uh, publication was like, oh, you know, you know, this is ambush marketing. And I was like, oh, no, it's more pre-awareness, you know, before our pitch. And we go into that room and it was epic. We had an apology from that the CEO couldn't make it. I'm thinking that never happens. And it was an uncomfortable sort of moment because we sort of pushed ourselves a seat at the table. But we stood out and we said to them, we're not here to be annoying, but every retailer in this country has said you can't prove that people will buy it. The people are saying they will. And some predicted this is collectivism and it won't translate into sales. But from day one in our 7-Eleven launch, we outsold Evian, then Courage, then we hit between number one and number two in the fridge and we fought it out for years and we raised millions of dollars um, for our partners around the world. So that moment kind of changed everything. Yeah, I actually remember that campaign. Um, you're very, very good at marketing. And you. I remember when we first met, you said you were, I, it was really funny because I interviewed you in the early days and you're like, oh, you know, I, I've seen founders marketing. I want yeah. to meet you and stuff like that. Like that campaign, how long did it take to bring that together? Because that was really good. You've done some really great ones. You've also done the book as well. That was yeah. massive. Yeah. Like, yeah, how long did that take? So the first campaign, 7-Eleven, was almost years in the building of the idea, not the actual execution, but that frustration. And I think one of the things that we think about in marketing, really for us, it's like, what is the problem we're trying to solve? So it took a couple of years to figure out what's the problem. And it's not just a general for us awareness issue. It was like retail won't buy into us. And so that campaign maybe was six months. And when we look back on the very first one, it was very, very hack. Like we're in a cool studio right now, sounds good. If you listen carefully in that very first video, you'll hear birds tweeting because Daniel, who was filming it, like we had a little white screen, it was at the back porch of his house and there were birds everywhere. And we, we hacked it together, but it had the heart of it. We took that and actually spent two years building our next campaign. And so that was a two year build. And that, that, when we launched that video, that changed everything because we, we, we said, hey, thank you's in water, it's in 7-Eleven. But for five years, Coles and Woolworths have said no to thank you. Two weeks from today, we're presenting to both of them. But this time we're not taking the water, we're taking a whole range of body care products and food. We've developed it for years, we need you Australia to come with us. And we literally said like, come to the meeting upload a post and a video. And so I say that campaign was like 7-Eleven on steroids. Two years of planning from the products we made to the helicopters we flew. And those that know the story know that we flew helicopters above the Coles and Woolworths head offices for half an hour. They carry these 30,000 square foot signs. So dear Coles and dear Woolies, thanks for changing the world. In brackets, if you say yes, because uh, we hadn't met yet. And so that campaign, we're flying around their head offices, media jumped on it like crazy and um, they both said yes but that was years in the making yeah so look you're very good at these kind of PR kind of marketing campaigns and taking people on a journey and kind of crowdsourcing attention where'd you get the idea for the first one and was it scary to think that maybe maybe like no one would participate how did you know people would and like or is it because you've had so many no's you're just used to it and you just yeah. do anything to give it a crack or yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's like probably three things. Like we did get used to no and we had to get pretty comfortable with, um, in fact, I used to work at Vodafone, right? And it was three, I think three, then it became Vodafone. And the particular job I had was in the kiosk in the middle of the shopping center. And so in the first three years, like I had a few jobs, traffic control, but I remember the kiosk because friends would walk past, particularly like Friday night, Saturday. And they'd ask for years, how's it all going with the water? And it was a, like every time it, it hurt, they didn't mean it, but I'm like, yeah, good. But I know they know you're still here. Like it's clearly not working. And, and I, I would resonate with that moment of being in the kiosk. You've got to get used to and comfortable with the idea that, hey, this is a long road and not everyone's going to get it. And you're going to get a lot of no's until one day you get that yes. So that was part one. Part two, when we launched, we thought people would get behind it because we called every friend every family member. We like our team, like we're like, okay, write a list of everyone you know. We're, we're gonna ask them that on the day this launches for them to get behind it. So in our head, we went into that campaign thinking, yeah, there's maybe 150 people that could start this. Now, 
It's interesting because everyone's like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. When it launched, I reckon like 10% of people did, maybe 20. Like that. And we're like, come on. Like, but then what was really cool is random people we'd never met posted. And we're like, oh. And so like a bunch of, you know, people that we knew got on board later. But it, it only took a few to spark and to start something. And then others were on board. And there is something about stories. I think we all want to be part of stories that are bigger than ourselves. And that's what thank you is. And it drew people in. And 7-Eleven was a small step, um, but it built and it built. And I think people have come on the journey and gone, huh, yeah, your ideas are crazy, but last time, yeah, you needed me and it kind of worked. Yeah, let's go again. And so I think the, the, the ask is getting bolder, um, but it's a, it's a many, many year story. Mm. And like fast forward to now, last year, you guys donated, I think 10 million $10 million and you're on the AFR philanthropic list. Can you tell like everyone that's watching kind of a little bit more about the model, how it works? I said, uh, you said offline that there's going to be some changes as well. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear kind of how does the model work? Because if you're competing against big brands and effectively, you know, they they operate off razor thin margins, how do you make it work to compete plus, you know, 100% is donated charity? Mm, yeah. Welcome to the biggest challenge that we've, you know, wrestled with for now 14 years. And I love that we thought it wouldn't be hard to figure it out. Um, I'm glad we had that kind of beginner's mindset and we still have it. But it has got harder, actually, the bigger we've got. So uh, the way the model works, the business, and, and we operate and we run like a business. So we think about like, we talk about like rule one at thank you, make great product. Rule two, never break rule one. There's an asterisk against rule two and it says never use a good cause to sell an average product. So our ambition is to be relentless on the product must stand on its own two feet. And so that means in the business we are thinking, you know, we are thinking hopefully like a world-class product or branding, you know, organization. The ownership model, that's where the profits get derived. So they come from the group and then they go out to our partners around the world. And so that's cool. We've, we've given 17 million, 10 million last year, and it's, it's a huge, that was a big year. Um, but every time we do that, if you put a business lens on, we're taking cash out of the business, which is the reason why we exist. But from a like, business stability perspective, it's scary as, because you're sitting there and you're like, wow, like it's why we do what we do, but we're weakening our financial position every single year. And we're competing against the biggest companies in the world who now don't treat us like you're not a threat. We are one. And they respond accordingly. And that enters a really interesting journey. Um, after the Coles and Woolworths campaign, I mean, our hand wash hit the number one hand wash in the category and it held it for years. Our personal care business, and that's probably the biggest part of what we do, that grew exponentially. And, and we had the highest loyalty in the category. And I bumped into a... Um, a CEO of another big competitor, right? It's a big FMCG company. And I made this sort of comment to him. I'm like, oh, it's like a joke. And I was like, oh, it's getting a bit harder to launch things these days. And he's like, yeah, well, when Thank You first started, like, that was cool. But now when you enter categories, consumers follow. So, like, it's working. So you've got to understand competition's going to plan accordingly. And so we went into water, food, personal care. Then we went into the baby category, which is one of the hardest, most highly contested categories. And for those that know the nappy market, people said to us, like, don't go into it. They, like people described it as like competition will rip your throat out. I'm like, that's so violent for a baby category. Like they said, no, no, no. The world is sort of run by two companies in that space. And we headed in uh, to that space very boldly. We got 10% market share in the first few months in our subcategory. This was actually the most successful launch we'd had. And so we're thinking, thank you's invincible. Water, food, personal care, baby. And it was actually that launch that changed things. In fact, the conference, the one that we're both speaking at, one of the competitors was at it. And I, I actually bumped into him. I'm like, hey, and we did this sort of awkward, hey. Um, but the, the number one player in that category when we launched, started promoting. So deep discounting, you know, certainly more than any at that time. The number two brand followed and it, it started what was, we'd call it a price war. I think the ACCC would get upset with the terminology, but it, would, it was like everyone protected their space. And that's what you do in business. Yep. It just meant that we got crushed. 
and our missions like to help end extreme poverty, but we, we went from 10% share and not up like we did back in the day, but down five, four, three, and we fought and fought for two years back and forward. In the same time, all the other categories we're in, we're getting more pressure than ever in food, more pressure than ever in water. We made a call, a strategic call, and we wrote a letter to our community called Better Before Bigger. We said like we need to be better before we are bigger and we're pulling out of the food category. It was a tough day. We had a $7 million food business. It was working, but we pulled out to focus on the nappy thing because it was so big. But then we lost. We lost the fight. We took thank you to New Zealand. It was like, this will go well. Like we're having a rough run in Australia, but you would have thought if you watched the market in New Zealand, you would have thought we were launching in America. Like everyone from the big tier ones to local groups through all the things you can throw, all the different levers in competition that you can do. And our launch followed the nappy launch. It was really successful for the first 13 weeks and then down. And so we're like, what's going on? Like we're here to help end extreme poverty, but like we can't, the model's not working. We've got ambition, no different to founder. Like we look at the world and we think, wow, our products are global. The mission's global. This should be. And yet in Australia and New Zealand, what was such a good story is getting crushed. And that entered probably for us, um, 2018, uh, you know, was, was sort of, well, really 2017 was the beginning of that, that kind of the valley. And that took us right through to 2020. And so in that time, we could have gone, this is it. Just, you know, it was a cool project when we were younger. But instead, we, we had this project called, um, we called it Project Salvation. It's like kind of a bit Terminator Salvation vibes. But we we're like, this is, we need to save and turn this around. And actually, we rethought everything. And uh, we're in the process of rolling that out. Hey, guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. So though, if you if you donated over $10 million last year to your partners, that and that's the most you've ever donated, that must have mean that last year was a good year, mm-hmm. right? So, so what... Like what, what is the difference? I'm trying to understand what happened next. So what happened next in our story is in that journey, um, I mean, Justine and I both in our own ways burnt out. Um, it was, a, this journey is grueling for anyone and I'll let her share her story. Um, but, you know, it was intense and three months she was in bed, like completely burnt out. And, and I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was struggling and, and we took two months off as a, we called it a sabbatical sounded very official, but it was just like two months away from everything. And on this particular um, two months off, I went to New Zealand, a beautiful part of the world, and um, I read a book that Justine had told me to read years earlier. I think it's called Leading on Empty or something. And I was like, I'm not empty. You know, I don't need that book. And, and anyway, this book, this leader went through burnout. And it was really intense. He ended up in hospital and a whole bunch of stuff. And he, he talked about this concept. He asked this question, what's your 5%? What's the bit that only you can do? And he proposed that as leaders, 85% of what you do, someone else can do. 10%, someone who you highly train and apprentice, they can do it. And that leaves the five, the bit that only you can do. And as he's sharing that, when Jesse and I read the book, we both automatically were like, oh, we know our five. But then he talked about like his five, his faith, his relationship with his wife, his health, his sleeping. He can't outsource sleeping to anyone. So it's actually very confronting, like, oh, so your 5% is like literally the stuff that only you can do. And he talked about how at the end of that, there's a bit left. That's for the organization. But you've got to make sure 
that it's the bit that only you can do. Otherwise, as you do some of that 85, 95%, you'll eat into the stuff that matters most. So, so for us in this sort of burnout phase, we like, wow, we need to reshape how we think. We came back to thank you and we're like, oh, 85% of what we do at thank you. Other companies do and they do it well. In fact, some of our competitors do what we do better than what we do. And if you walk through our office in Collingwood, a couple of levels, it was impressive. It was like, oh, so on that level, you guys like you're trying to replicate like like a mini Unilever or L'Oreal. And on that level, that's like a like a creative agency, but in-house. And your finance team looks like an accounting firm, but like in-house. And we were building, I would now call it almost the Death Star, but at the time it just felt like the dream. Like we're building this huge thing and we're gonna do it all ourselves in-house. And then we sat back and redesigned, thank you, what would it look like if 85% of what we did, we found partner companies to do the work. And, 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 then, and this was epic, man. I, I, so we failed in nappies, but then we had the thought of, imagine if we re-entered that market. We got 10% market share. We had a remarkable product. But either Huggies or Pampers, which is owned by P&G, the two biggest nappy companies in the world, what if we gave one of them the rights to make and distribute that product? What if we took the best of everything they've built in over like decades and the best of what we've built and together? Now, it would mean that we would have to be humble enough to admit they've done actually a very good job at what they've done and created and they'd have to be humble enough to admit like thank you's got something we don't have and together two goes further. And so we started to map out thank you. I'm like, wow. Imagine if we went back into the food category but we had partners who 24-7 woke up every day thinking about food. Now, the, the more we thought about this model, we had a problem. We're like, but thank you's all for the mission. And so we set up and we've borrowed a, a, a lot on brand licensing. And our, our, our vision on the way forward for thank you is not to sell thank you, not all or part of it. We still retain 100% of the ownership for our charitable trust and the mission. But we're finding partners who can make and distribute under license category. And, and our, our vision is in time, each market around the world, someone will have one category in that region to make and distribute product. And it's a way that, you know, if there's an old uh, proverb that says one could put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000. And so we're in the process of rethinking this. Um, we haven't publicly announced any partners, but our last 18 months has been wild because we've met so many like-minded companies from uh, Melbourne, from New Zealand, UK, France, Germany, Japan, like all around the world have heard about where Thank You's heading. And they're like, we, we've loved what you do and we want to make a difference and, and here's how we could partner. And so in time, um, if you're listening and certainly in the next chapter of the Thank You story, you're going to learn about a lot of people and a lot of partnerships that I think take this idea to scale. But it took us going, hey, the way we're building, it's not going to last. But if we change one thing, and this one thing is discovering what's the bit that only thank you can do, you know, we think it'll, it'll change stuff. So 2020 was a good year, but also we had gone, we are innovators and we move fast and there's some stuff that we can do. And so when the pandemic hit, our supply chain fell apart and we went to what would have been our first loss of over a million dollars. That's never happened at Thank You. So everything fell apart, but thankfully we had rethought how we wanted to operate, our culture, our team. In the space of three months, we found new suppliers out of Australia. We end up supplying the Australian government, all retailers, and in three months, made over $10 million profit, more than 13 years. And all that changed was our thinking and this like Kirk, who I wish was here. I mean, he has so much energy, but he was in the startup days of Thank You. He was there when we scaled and became very professional and very systems orientated and very process driven and very risk adverse. And if we had stuck to that, which is not really who we are, that 10 million would never have happened. And we wouldn't be sitting here, thank you, was gone. So our thinking and the inside journey, I think dictates the outside journey more than we know. Yeah, wow, what an incredible story. And it's so cool to hear, like I love this new idea of, of this model of like kind of just focusing on what you guys are good at and then just partnering with other brands and then basically licensing, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think we're going to discover more and more mechanics to unlock this. But I was really inspired when we launched chapter one, the book went well. And it raised a lot of money, but it traveled. And I remember week three, a hero of mine, maybe yours, Seth Godin. Yeah, I remember you told me. He yeah. bought the book. 
And so I'm like, oh, and I write like fan mail, like, dear Seth, we love you. Like, I try not to be too, you know, come on too strong, but like we love everything and, and the purple cow and tribes. And yeah. and, and I, I said, could we, would, could we meet one day? And he wrote back saying, yeah, let's do it. And we went to his house. And I remember the first trip to his house. And it was the full Seth Godin experience, man. It was incredible. We went to his wife's dairy-free bakery and we walked through this small town of a couple hundred people and he lived kind of off the grid, it felt. I, I, I pictured Seth in New York, you know, like a really big kind of thing, but he was out. And on that trip, honestly, I judged it. I was like, oh, this is not, uh. And on that same trip, I went to Facebook HQ and it was like the dream. And I was like, that is the dream. And one day, thank you, would definitely be this until I kind of, I think, wow, we we're trying to build the Death Star. And as cool as that model is, and it may work for someone, it doesn't work for thank you. Seth's figured out the bit that only he can do, and he's a master at that. He does that bit, and he has amazing people and partners and networks that do so much. And I'm so inspired how someone can have the impact he's had on so many industries and leaders just by honing in on the bit that only he does. And yeah. Yeah, big takeaways there. Even for me, I'm going through a bit of a transition there as well. So it's great to hear. I'm, I'm curious, just kind of like, You've been doing this for 13, 14 years now and that mindset piece and that passion for philanthropy, like so many people would have given up. So You've taken so many hits. Like why do you keep – like where does this come from? Yeah. Um, I mean we talk a lot in business about vision and mission. So often when I hear those words, you just sort of zone out. But it is it is definitely that and, and so – and it's both like – the, the, the vision of thank you, I mean, I talked at the beginning about like crying, you know, in front of a computer and that was a moment. I've had many more traveling to the field, but we haven't got to travel. You know, the world's been kind of upside down, locked down. And so for me, what's kept me going hasn't just been like, oh, then I met another family and then I saw another video. Like that stuff over time, it matters and it grounds you, but it's not enough. I think the mission drives us, but the vision is so compelling, like, I don't know, but I, I find it hard to unsee something. And so for me, I feel like I've seen a world where this idea is at scale and it just looks different to the one we're in now. And I'm like, if we don't keep going, who's going to? And I know there are many doing many good things, but I think we're just compelled. And 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 it it, it some days it hurts because you're like, I was in a meeting this week and, you know, particular retailer and retail is a tough game but talk about sitting in a room with a a person who doesn't know the brand that well it's like just doesn't get it and literally in that moment I'm like oh this why are we 14 years in and still feel like but you don't see what we see and you're treating us like I don't want to say rubbish but it was just it was just tough it was like but then there are other moments that you're like, oh, no, some people do see this. And that helps me when someone sees that vision because I'm like, it's not just in a bubble. Um, I had this moment and it warning, name drop, about to happen. But um, I got invited to a conference and it wasn't to speak. It was just to sit in the audience. Mm. And I was at registration and I'm queuing up and these two uh, like girls come up who are, who are part of the conference team and they're like, are you Daniel Flynn? I'm like, yes. They said, you didn't get back to our email. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, that's okay. But tomorrow morning, President Obama has asked if he can interview you on the live stream. Are you up for it? Yeah. And I've just flown through the night. So I was like, can you say that one more time for me? And they were like, I was like, him. They're like, him. And so the next day, literally, uh, he was here. Uh, He'd chosen three young people from around the world. We had like 24 hours notice or not even. And we're sitting there on stools. And in that moment, that was, well, it was insane on a lot of levels. Um, but he, like unscripted, he's like, Daniel, th- like markets are global now. This is such an amazing idea. When's it coming to the world? And I'm like, President Obama, um, we're about to launch it to New Zealand. And then one day it'll, you know, we'll bring it to America. And it was just like, you know, I, I was probably talking in an even higher pitch voice than that. Like I was, I was nervous. And at the same time, like, you see this. Um, I gave him a chapter one and a hand wash. And at the end, he, he was like, oh, the girls and I, we, we wash our hands. This will be great. 
<laughs> and I'm like, they wash their hands. Like, of course they do. But, but that to me is the simplicity of this idea. We all wash our hands. Now, we made 17, well, 10 million last year. And that's because sanitizer and hand wash sales went up. But here's some context. We made $10 million that we gave in a market of 23, 24 million people. But how many people are there on the planet? And what, did, what would last year look like if we were already in 190 countries? Because we weren't the only people that made a lot of money. And, and some of the people we're meeting with and proposing partnerships with, our challenge to them is, you all did very well in the last 24 months. 48, at a time when the world fell apart. And actually for the first time in three decades, we've gone backwards on our mission to end extreme poverty. So they are saying that we are gonna go up from 736 million people living in extreme poverty. That number may go up a further 500 million. So like, where's the passion come from? Right now it's like, that's getting worse. And weirdly, consumers keep consuming and we're all buying more and everyone's getting into everything. and Cars are going up and houses are going up and everyone's buying hand sanitizer. Like consumerism hasn't stopped. So I would say more than ever, thank you has a role to play. I'm glad we've had a long journey figuring out who are we, who are we really, and then redesigning that so that we can kind of hopefully catapult this and one day we're catching up and we're in 190 countries and we're talking about the, the profit that year and it was bigger than 10, you know, that's the, the dream. Yeah, no, it's an incredible journey and I'm sure you'll get there. So I'm curious, like, Retail is tough. Do you guys do much on the direct-to-consumer side? And, and you know, you look at, like, who gives a crap? Yep. They've got a, a for-good model, not yep. the exact same model as you guys. But, like, that, you know, I said, Simon, they're doing really well. Like, I'm curious, have you, yeah, because you're, you're a great, great, great market. You've got the brand. Like, yeah, mm. why, why so heavy on retail? Or are you doing much direct-to-consumer stuff? Yeah, look, so much respect for Simon um, and, and, and so many direct-to-consumer brands. I think on the outside, a lot of people would look on being like, you have a website, you have a product, it's just so simple. And it, it isn't. <laughs> Nothing's easy. And, and I think we got into some direct-to-consumer. And as you heard in the story, we let in retail. And I tell you, it is very hard to do both well. The tension is real. That retailer pricing really locks you in. The, the, you know, some would say you can't do both really well and you have to pick your path and you can have a mix, but one's going to be stronger than the other. And we have a very big, very strong retail business. We're in every retail in Australia. So when we went into direct-to-consumer, our results were average. They really were. They were quite average, yeah. And, and the, the, you know... Really, it was a design issue. It was our problem. It was like, well, we haven't thought about this as a direct-to-consumer play. We've got a really strong retail business and now we're trying to sell some product online. And we tried and we tried hard, but I think we went, hmm, we're going to have to rethink. And so Project Salvation wasn't just a rethink of the model. It was actually everything, how we give, how we structure teams, how we think about e-com. And so the future of e-com, thank you, will look different to the past. And, and that is, in, in fact, thanks to some pretty cool people and partners out there that, you know, nothing's official in the market yet. But I, I have, uh, you know, I suppose that longing for direct-to-consumer because to have that relationship at a consumer level I think is so important. We have it, but like through bricks-and-mortar retail yes. and then through campaigning. But there's, there's quite a disconnect there. So I think we look forward to it. Um, but our wrestle has been found in the tension between trying to do two things well. It's really tough. And so with this new model that you're working with, this is going to help you guys really go globally quite quickly. That's the plan, right? That is the plan. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember we made a mistake when we went to New Zealand. We said when we were coming. And that was great at a consumer level. People were like, oh, we'll get ready and we'll help. Tick. But, um, Yeah. I don't think we'll ever give the heads up to the market on what day we launch and how we're going to launch. Like I have a lot of respect for that Beyonce album once it just sort of dropped and no one expected it. We're not Beyonce, but we should do that. Like we should just like, when's thank you? It's here. So yes, we want to, we want, you know, that rapid expansion through, you know, multiple categories and not just the ones we're in, maybe others, but it has taken years to think this through and actually work with some really smart people on how do you structure that in a way that meets the mission 
Um, we have had so many offers in this journey for acquisition. Oh, really? Yeah. Or, or we will, we're up for it, but, so we'll do what you want in this new model, but we want 30% or we want 20% or 50% of thank you. And we're like, you can't have any. Like it's, and, 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 and don't feel bad, but you just can't. Like that's not how this model works. It's still commercial and you would know in licensing. It's an absolute commercial relationship. People both make money. But the ownership, I mean, that for us, we want to retain that all for the mission. And so that's kind of the nuance. And, and that's made it harder. Otherwise, I reckon two years ago, we would have, you know, been making some pretty quick announcements. But I think, thank you, we have taken the hard road. Um, we think it'll pay off. Time will tell. So have you thought on bringing in partners for outside capital or, or anything? Because that, that definitely could help you guys. But then they want to return. Mm, and it's a tension, right? And, and, you know, there are other models, you know, that do that and it works. And, you know, I, I think particularly in business, we often get into the, the deep conversation on like which model's better. Oh, you mentioned who gives a crap before. Um, that's a great example. We're both different. We're both so, social enterprises. And I'm not sure about Simon, but there are many days I wished we were his model. I was like, oh, it must be so much better. But I'm sure there are days where he thought, oh, I, I like what they're doing. It's very easy to kind of look over the, the fence and, and be like, that would solve all of our problems. But I think we've gone on a journey of what's the shoe that fits thank you? And this one fits us. Um, and, and, and it comes with some challenges around scaling and we have to be creative on that. The book helped us raise some money for future ventures. We raised $2.6 million from chapter one. We committed from that book that all the profit will fund the future expansion which is cool. Like people aren't buying a book to give money to a founder. They're not buying a book even to give money directly to the cause. They're funding new category launches, marketing campaigns that will exponentially grow impact. So I think through, you know, creative campaigning and ideas, we'll, we'll find our way to the summit that we see. Um, but yeah, there are some days you're like, oh, we should have just gone a bit of a different route, you know, and that's all part of the journey. Yeah, look, the grass is always green on the other side, but it's part of the journey, right? So I'm curious, have you guys ever looked into like NFTs involving your community around yeah. ownership of the brand? Have you looked into that? would love your perspective. We've been talking about it for a while. And um, I would say like rightly or wrongly, we talk about stuff for too long, but then when we move, we move. So that's the good news. And we have been talking and maybe wrestling with like, what does it look like in this space? We don't want to just do kind of tokenism thing. We want to think think about it and bring something really unique. And so, yeah, I mean, Justine had an idea the other day around NFTs that I was like, oh, that feels right. Now, we're still, I mean, we've got some work to do. But if you have any insights or anyone listening does who's really passionate in this space, like feel free to send them through because I'm with you, it feels like this idea of decentralization and kind of the, the people power again, that is the heart of this. Um, and so, yeah, we are we are reimagining the future, man. So I mean, if you've got anything, just let me know. Yeah, no. Um, would you like to buy a Think NFT? I mean, we'd like that. We, we, we can sell you one right here, right now. This could be the first um, moment. Um, no pressure, but people are watching. Um, but yeah, we'd love to get into it. Yeah, no, I can I can see with like the way you think about marketing and yeah, yeah all of that that there's there's got to be something there. Yeah, um, awesome. Well, look, this has been an incredible conversation, man. I could talk to you all day. Uh, we have to work towards wrapping up. We're going to move to the rapid fire yeah. kind of questions. Um, if you go back to the first day in business, what would you give younger Daniel? I, I would I would tell him to enjoy the journey because I think I, I I hated it at the beginning or I was quite um, just very focused, I would say. And that's how I termed it. But actually there was not a lot of joy, even a win. That wasn't, I would, I would yeah, yeah, we got 7-Eleven, but now we've got to go well. We outsold Evian, yeah, but like, what about there? And, but what about other retailers? And so there was always that focus and actually a mentor, the first catch up I had with him, he was very confronting. He said, do you celebrate the wins? Which I thought was, weird question i'm like yeah he's like cool what was the win what day how did you celebrate and i basically got called out in front of him i didn't have one so i would say to younger me it's like man like you've got to enjoy the journey celebrate the wins um because you know that is from a cultural perspective really critical when is work fulfilling when is it like i want to say every day 
But like there are so many days where you're like, this is a hard job. Yeah, this feels like 10 jobs. It's not even fair. But I think if I zoomed out even on that day, there's still a sense of fulfillment in it. And it's because I think for myself, for Justine, we feel like we're living on a purpose and a mission. And yes, there are hard days, but there's fulfillment in that. If you could have uh, dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, well, this is one time in LA where we were at a table and on the table two doors up was Elon Musk. And we're like, oh, don't say hi. We didn't say hi. But I kind of wish we were two tables across. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I do. I, I, I have a lot of respect. I know he's talked about a lot and criticized and, and celebrated, but I genuinely think the way he builds and thinks is very inspiring. It's very ambitious, but it's also very well thought through. Um, and I, I would love that conversation. So, yeah, two tables away, so close, so far, maybe one day. <laughs> there you go. Well, look, uh, last question. Where's the best place people can find out more about your mission and your work at Thank You? Look, if you head to thankyou.co, uh, we built the website uh, thinking about it like a museum. So in a museum, you can walk through real quick. But yeah, done. Or you can stop and go real deep. So if you want to go deep on Thank You, the model, everything's open source. We talk about it. There is a lot in it. Head to the website. If you want to be part of future launches and campaigns, join us. Buy the book. Follow us on social. You know, there's a few things coming up. And our next few years are certainly, in our perspective, the most ambitious years we've ever had. As a team, we've never been more excited. And that's not just hype. Like, we genuinely... We can't wait. But most of the ideas will fail unless lots of people get behind them. So, you know, if people want to join us, welcome. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, man. This is an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.